0: On behalf of your overseers, I just want to share with you some things this morning, and then we'll get into the lesson. Beginning this morning, and going through, I hope, I'm lying lead way there, I hope the month of February, I'll be focusing the lessons and attention upon the subject related to elders. Shepherds, Overseers, with a view to at the end of this series of lessons, coming to you the church and asking you to give your present overseers names of men that you would be willing to follow as additional shepherds or overseers of this congregation. Your present shepherds have come to the conclusion and we've spent no small amount of time discussing this, that we feel like it's time in the stage of this congregation's existence to move forward with bringing in additional men to serve this congregation in this capacity. None of the men that are serving now are men who ran for the work to do. All six are men that you have asked to serve this congregation. Joe has been serving about 35, maybe 36 years of this church. Breck and I have been serving since 2005. James, Rick, And Terry have been serving since 2011. So it's been 10 years since I have come to you and preached this series of lessons. As I think back the first 20 years of my preaching here probably more than any two things that I spent time preaching about were number one the family and number two elders. But because at one time we had seven, Mike Ryan left a year or so, maybe two years ago now, and now six, we've been functioning very well. And so I haven't felt the need to come to you and share with you what the Bible says about the work and these men. But we've come to the place and time in which, as I said, your present overseers feel like it's time for us to spend time thinking about that. Why between now and the end of February? Far too many times, my judgment, Book of Ricky, when we think about elders, the first and only place we go to are First Timothy 3 and Titus 1. I will tell you those will be the last two places we go to. Because we need, to we need to understand, first of all, something about the terms that are used. Elder, shepherd, and bishop. And then we need to understand something about the work that these men who are shepherds, elders, and overseers or bishops do. If we don't understand the terms and we don't understand the work, And just simply visiting 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 is not even really going to be a lick and a promise. It'd be more than superficial. And so in my judgment, as your present overseers have talked about it, I think it's important that we spend time concentrating our attention and thinking on this particular aspect of the function of a local church in a very serious and, I hope, thorough way. Following that, then, at the end of February, when we come to you, I then will spend, I hope, the month of March, speaking to you about deacons and the possibility of adding additional deacons as you as a congregation... See, there are men who will be described or fit the description that we'll paint. Again, I could just turn to the last part of 1 Timothy 3 and we could give a look at a promise to be done. But we need to understand the term and we need to understand the work before we look for men who can do that work. And so you can tell the first quarter of this year as far as my preaching is concerned, it is going to be focused internal. It'll be focused on what this church needs to do in her work together an organization under elders, shepherds, and overseers and deacons serving so this church can continue to be forward in future years. One thing we're very cognizant of is legacy. This church has enjoyed 41 years. October of 1980, the first three men were appointed. And yes, I'm slow at math. That would be 42 years going on. 43, but there was one year in which we had no elders, and so for 41 years, this church has enjoyed the leadership of the men that you've asked to serve, and your present elders feel very, very compelled and intensely serious about continuing that legacy of leadership. And I'll talk about that in the course of these lessons. Now, what I've said thus far has been representing your six shepherds. What I'm going to say now is on me. It does not represent the other five. It may be in the course of the discussion that we will entertain that something I present you may disagree with. And that is fine. I wish I could tell you I had divine inspiration and every conclusion I have made from my study is 100% From the mouth of the Holy Spirit himself. It is a byproduct of my study. Conclusions I have made. And I bear the responsibility. For the things that I teach. Not the other men. As far as I know. The other five shepherds. Agree. But it may be along the way. That there's something that I present that you disagree with. Our door's always open. My door's always open. Generally speaking, from Tuesday to Friday, sometimes it's Monday to Friday, I'm in my office by 5.15. if you'd like to come at 5.20 and discuss where you differ, ring the buzzer, and I'll be glad that you're in. I'm telling you, I presented to you what I think are the things the Bible teaches. That's what I'm responsible for. I'm not responsible for what you you think. I'm responsible for what I teach. And I'll try my best to be consistent with the book. And I'll also try, when we come to areas that are controversial, to offer multiple viewpoints. And then share with you what my conclusion is, what viewpoint I conclude, I think the text is talking about. I'll do my best to be faithful to the Word and the text itself. That's my responsibility as the role of a teacher. So you can tell we have a very ominous task before us. Now let me address one other thing. In this first quarter, the fourth Sunday will not be used for singing. I need the first three months to get this material done, so we don't take all year doing this in 2023. We're not gonna try to rush it. We wanna be thorough, but we're also not gonna spend the whole year talking about it. Having said that, the fourth Sunday will still be devoted to the theme, O thou fountain of every blessing. Jordan is out two Sundays in January. Recently, it has been our pattern that we ask one of the men who want to preach to fill in for me or Jordan, and Jordan and I take up the other opportunity. During this period of time, when Jordan's out of town, I'll be doing the preaching. We're not going to ask a man to fill in at this point because we need the continuity to cover the material. If that's over, we'll go back to inviting you men who want to speak, but Jordan and I are out of town to do so. Jordan has a full schedule, mine is very minimal, and so I'll be here most of the time, and all the time, I think, during this period of time, we're talking about January and February. Hope I've laid that out in a clear way for you, so you can see where we're going and what we're going to do. One other thing I need to tell you. I will do my best to stay within the time frame that we have. I'm already taking up about 10 minutes here. It may be that in my lessons that they run a little bit long, but it's because I need to cover the material. And so I beg your forbearance with that and ask you to stay with me as we do that. So let's begin. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, read with me beginning in verse 17, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him he said to them, you know from the, re- from the first day that I came to Asia." What manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, and see now now, I go bound in spirit to Jerusalem not knowing the things that will happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that change and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have Gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I'm not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take to yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know that after this, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for these three years I did not cease to warn you every night and day with tears. Paul had spent a great deal of time among the church at Ephesus and spent a great deal of time with the elders of this church. And as we just read, this will be his final meeting with them. There's a pleading for him not to go to Jerusalem. He realizes what the Spirit is saying to him, that he's going to be bound in chains. But as far as Paul is concerned, that will not quiet the passion that he has for going to Jerusalem to spread the truth of God and to take the bounty that he has been given to responsibility over, along with those whom the churches have chosen to send to the poor in Jerusalem. Paul's not concerned with what happens to himself, but he is concerned with what happens to them. And he says, I want to warn you that grievous woes will come in among you. The greatest danger, the greatest danger to any local church, and the greatest danger personally always comes from the inside. And Paul's concerned about how they on the inside, especially inside that eldership, are going to be and how they're going to respond and what they're going to do. A church will have leadership. It will be good. It will be bad. It is the choosing of that congregation, but a church will have leadership. But ultimately, ultimately leadership comes down to the chief shepherd himself who swallowed the cross drank the bitter dregs of the cross, rose and ascended at the right hand of the Father. It is ultimately He that is our chief shepherd, our chief overseer. But where I want to begin this morning is with this very simple question. And that is, where do elders come from? Where do elders come from? Well, think about that question. The first thing I'd like to share with you is if we think that leadership is something that is just a rarity, the elders come from outer space because they're just the anomaly, or that they just happen to pop up among a congregation, then we are sadly, sadly mistaken. As I said in my introductory remarks, this church has enjoyed 41 years of competent, faithful, trustworthy leadership among the shepherds of this church. But leadership is not restricted. Leadership is not restricted just to elders. Every church will have informal leaders, like Bible class teachers, teachers otherwise, Those who are responsible for sharing sharing the word that are not given responsibility of oversight. But leadership comes also in the form of those who are informal leaders. In fact, let me make this observation no congregation will exist, no matter how many shepherds you have, without informal leaders. Because those informal leaders are many times the eyes and the ears. For well, the shepherds who are just one man or a one group of men who are, have a virtual impossibility, regardless of the size, a virtual impossibility of knowing everything about everyone going on, as diligent as they may be. And so it requires informal leaders who are the eyes and the ears, who are the people who rise and serve because they see a problem over here. I'm reminded of what James John will say in 1 John 3 here you see your brother in need, and instead of saying, go thy way and be filled, you see your brother in need and you go and you make sure he's filled. That's the informal leader. Someone who sees the need is someone who, who meets that need. Whether you're asked to or not. Whether the church has asked you to, to operate in some formal way or not. You simply serve others. And when you see a problem, you help share that information with those who have leadership responsibilities as far as it pertains to oversight. I will tell you that the six of us are indebted. Whenever we receive it, we receive a text message. We receive an email. We receive a phone call that tells us, are you aware of brother or sister so and so as having this or that problem? It may be we are, it may be we're not, but at least somebody we know is watching out for somebody else beyond just the six of us. I don't come to this assembly simply because I preach. This assembly is not about me. This assembly is about us coming together and hearing the cry of faith of one another. And as we hear the cry of faith of one another, we therefore invest ourselves in each other and we help each other grow and pay attention. And it comes from the most unusual of circumstances of people. Just as a body has many members, so a local church has many in our fellowship. We come here together because we have an investment in Christ and we are giving and we are placing an investment in one another and we come to help each other be built up and to help each other grow and to help each other develop. That's why we come. It comes from people like Phoebe. It comes from people like Lydia. It comes from people like Dorcas. It comes from people like in that list of Romans chapter 16, who we will never know until we see their face in heaven and say, oh, you're Andronicus, you're Junius. I wasn't aware of who you were. I saw your name, the Holy Spirit preserved it for me, but now I'm glad to meet you. It comes from these informal leaders who are simply there to help, watch, and care for others, whether asked to or not. No church will exist successfully without informal leaders of every age group. This is not limited to those who have gray hair. This is not limited to those of some age. This involves both young and old alike. When a young person is having a problem, and we have a young person come tell us, Are you aware that he or she is having a problem? We need these young people to be informal leaders. We need them to have a participation in this and help share with us the eyes and the ears of the problems their mates, their, their peers are having. So we as shepherds can be attuned to what that is. We try to stay in touch with, on top of things. But it comes to young and old alike. There are no exemptions here when it comes to informal leaders. There's neither male nor female here. We need all genders, and we need all ages to do that. The second thing I'd like to discuss with you then, if you'd like to turn with me to to the book of Nehemiah, is an Old Old Testament illustration of leadership. Nehemiah is not an elder, but I want to take something from Nehemiah and talk about leadership before I transition to the last point. Certainly you are aware of the role that Nehemiah plays. You are aware that Nehemiah is a cupbearer to to the king. The cupbearer was not a butler. He had a much more serious responsibility than that. In essence, the king has placed his life in the hands of the cupbearer because the cupbearer was the one that made sure everything that came before the king to eat or to drink was safe, was not filled with poison, was not filled with something that would harm him. And so Nehemiah is a cupbearer here. But Nehemiah has his brother come from Jerusalem. And Nehemiah asks his brother, how are things going? And and, and you just kind of get the feeling that Nehemiah is hoping. So when you ask somebody how they're doing, aren't you really hoping they say, oh man, I'm peachy keen, this is a great day. And really what you're not, well, it's just not a very good day. You really want to hear it. This is a good day. And I can't help but think that's what Nehemiah wants whenever he asks his brother, how are things going in Jerusalem? He's hoping to hear his brother say, no, things are great there. Instead, he says, things are terrible here. say, well, how bad are they? They say, well, the whole thing is a junkyard. It is totally rabble and rubble all over the place there. The Babylonians have destroyed everything and they have raised everything. Everything is in total disarray. It is chaotic that is there. And so what you see, first of all, when it says in verse 4, So it was when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the Lord God. The first thing I would say is, a leader must first of all have concern for others. And that's what Nehemiah does. He has concern for others. How are things going? But then second of all, he is a man that spends time weeping and praying for others. And so Nehemiah goes about doing that, but when Nehemiah then goes further into the discovery of this. He comes in chapter two before the king. And the king sees that Nehemiah is is diswrought. He's not his cheerful self. He's not the guy that's always positive that comes into the plate into the presence of the king that says, "Man, this is a great day. I'm glad to serve you. Thank you. You're a great monarch," and so on and so forth. He can tell this guy's down. And so the king asked Nehemiah, I "said What's wrong, buddy?" Why, why, why are you so disconsolate? Why do you have this, this down, downward look on your face? Why, why are you so so morose here? Why, why, why do you seem to be hurting so bad? And he says, it's because my people over here, my people are hurting back over here. And the king of essence says, well, what can I do for you? And Nehemiah says, well, you can let me go. And so now what he's going to do is he's going to invest himself. He not only is concerned and praised, now he's going to personally invest himself. He's willing to make a sacrifice for the people. And the king says, I tell you what, I'll let you go, and hey, I'll I'll pad the account for you. I'll make sure I pay for everything that, that you need to get taken care of. I'll provide everything. I even give you letters that give you approval to go. I'm going to be the guy that's going to finance the whole thing for you. I'll take care of everything for you. You take what you need, and you go back, and you do this, and you take as long as you need to do this. And so here you see this man who's willing to invest himself in this. But then look at chapter 2 and verse 17. He said, Then I said to them, You see the distress that we're in, how Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Did you follow what he's saying there? Notice again and notice how he addresses them here. Then I said to them, you see the distress we are in. How Jerusalem lies in wait and its gates burn with fire. Come, let us build a wall of Jerusalem that we may, that we may longer, no longer be a reproach. He comes to the people and he tries to rouse the people. He tries to motivate them to action and he includes himself in that. Nehemiah doesn't come and say, look at the mess, what a mess you people made. I can't believe I've got to come here and I've got to sweep, sweep things up for you and clean things up for you. He says, let us do this. He arouses them to be a part of what he asked them to do. And if you look in chapter 4 and verse 21, look at what happens then. So we labored in the work, and half the men held spears from the daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes except that everyone took them off for washing. And what he's saying is we all joined arm in arm, shoulder together. We joined hip to hip. And what it is is we got in there and we built the wall. We did this. Look at what we did. And they did it in a marvelous amount of time. What Nehemiah is saying is let us rise and build. And he was part of the rising the building. And leadership doesn't ask People to do what they're not willing to do. Leadership doesn't say, well, I tell you what, you go do personal evangelism and we'll sit here in the Ivory Tower and we'll tell you what to do. If we think that the only role of leadership is to stand before people, we are sadly mistaken. Leadership is doing what you ask others to do, and when we ask people to do personal evangelism, then leaders better be doing personal evangelism. When we ask leaders to be doing building up, then we better do building, better be building up. If if leaders say, ask you to do a particular thing, and then you don't see them doing it, all you conclude is, they're just standing front people. Leaders are not standing front people Alone, They may stand in front, they may go before, they may lead, we'll talk about that in the development of things, but if we just think leadership is standing before people and making an announcement at the end of service, then we're sadly mistaken about what the role is. That is the very, 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 very least of what a leader can do, is to stand before people. Hold your finger in Nehemiah and turn with me to the book of Colossians, because I want to illustrate this idea of leadership and what it means. Look at Colossians chapter 1. I look at verse 24. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship which God has given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages, from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. Did you get what he says here? I rejoice in my suffering that I may fill up for you what is lacking. A leader is one who wants to fill up what is lacking for others. And then he will say this further in verse 27, to whom God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is in Christ Jesus, in you the hope of glory, him we preach Warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And what leaders invest themselves in people to do is to help people be presented to Christ perfect or complete. And their job is not finished until they are presented perfect and complete, which means their job is never finished. Because there's always someone to perfect and complete. Leadership is concerned and prays for people and willingly sacrifices themselves for the good of helping others be perfect, complete in Christ. Paul will say it this way in the book of Philippians, chapter two. Philippians chapter two. He said, I don't think I run in vain. Chapter two and verse seventeen. Yes, and after being poured out as a drink offering in the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And what he's saying is, there whatever the price I have to pay. To be a benefit to you. To fill up your need. To provide for you what your need is. I'm willing to pay with that price. That's what a leader does. And that's what Nehemiah was doing. So if you turn back to Nehemiah real quickly. And then turn to chapter, chapter 5. You'll see how this then plays out. In chapter 5 then he says. And there was a great victory of the people. And the wives, and and there was that great outcry of the people, and the wives against the Jewish brethren, for these were those who said, we are sons and daughters, our many, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were some who said, we have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. There were also those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands, yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren and our children, and indeed we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And he said, I became angry when I heard the words of the outcry. And he has a passion for them to do what is right. And what he's saying is, I didn't take a penny from you. I didn't take a penny from the king in this. But I see you suffering. His leadership is moral. The leadership of a local congregation, in fact, a leadership in the home. Leadership of a husband, the leadership of a father is moral leadership. It's not because they're boss. And those who may be prospective shepherds, elders, bishops of this church, please, 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 please hear this emphatic statement. Elders, shepherds, bishops are not your boss. They have no legislative authority to tell you what to do. Theirs is a moral authority, and it's based on moral persuasion from the Word of God. And you will hear this again, but I want to put it in here. This church, for years, not just the past 11, not just the past 15, Joe and Darrell set the pattern. Has a shepherd-oriented shepherdry. Not CEO. And we don't want that to change. Because our investment like Nehemiah is not in the books. And it's not in the concrete. And it's not in the carpet. It's in the people. And that's what matters. And that's what stirred Nehemiah. So where where do elders come from? Where do men like this come from? They come from disciples. Would it be unusual for there to be among disciples, men? Women? Young people? Would it be unusual for there to be among those disciples, men who have been radically reborn? Reborn? Would it be unusual among those disciples to be men who have grown to some maturity of faith? Would it be unusual for those disciples to be men who've grown to some maturity of faith who have wives, who've also grown to some maturity of faith? Would it be unusual for those men who are disciples to have grown to some maturity of faith and have wives that accompany them and also have children who have followed their example to be faithful, trustworthy as an example of faith? Would that be unusual? Isn't that what what is the goal of every disciple is to have that maturity of faith? To have that kind of perfection, maturity of faith, and what you do with that maturity of faith is that you hand that off to somebody else so they can hand it off to somebody else. You see, these disciples come because they have fallen in love with God and fallen in love with His Word, and they realize that He is their Redeemer, and they come to Him pleading for redemption, and they take that redemption song, that wonderful story of love, and they tell it to others, and they tell it to their families, and their families follow them. Is that unusual? Does that require people from outer space for that to happen? That's the expectation. That's the expectation of a disciple. So where do elders come from? They come from among you. They come from disciples of Christ. That word disciple is learner, a follower. And they go about making disciples, learners, and followers. And they go about making disciples, learners, and followers to help them, each one, grow in their maturity of faith to be able to be examples to others and to be able to lead others to that same maturity of faith, even among themselves, among their wives, among their families, and among the flock themselves. So when you think about these men who are disciples, that's what they are, the disciples of Christ first. They're not the anomaly, they're the expectation. Yes, yes. Yes, there are those occasions in which the disciples are so young, they've not developed in that faith, but that ought to be the exception, not the rule. When that becomes the rule, then there's something tragically wrong. And I just made a very indicting statement there, because I've served in churches where there were no elders, and there was no prospect for any elders, and there was something tragically wrong there. It may be that the fellowship of people that we're talking about is so young they haven't developed, but they ought to be developing, and they ought to be growing, and they ought to be maturing. It ought not to be we sit back and say, well, we just don't have anybody, and we never will. That's, that simply means we've grown indifferent and we've lost, the, important thing, lost the, vision of, uh, the vision of important things. You see, Nehemiah had a vision about something. What Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 and Philippians chapter 2 is he has a vision about something. And what he says to these elders at Ephesus is he has a vision about something. And he has a vision about what these shepherds would be among the people of God because they come from the people of God. And yes, the whole assembly ought to have, have some input. The whole assembly ought to have some Some say, and and the men they're going to ask to be their shepherds. Does that mean that everything is going to go smooth when you do that? Does it mean when you open up the box for people to have a say, that then you invite problems? Well, there may be problems. There may be discussions that, that need to be had about these disciples. But they will be solved Because we have one heart, one soul, and one mind about what is good for this fellowship of people, not what's good for the man. And we don't need one more man to stand up and say, I'm so honored to be an elder. And another to say, I'm so morose and down in the mouth and pout and kick dirt and scream because I wasn't asked. And that's the man that is upset about it that he didn't need to be asked to begin with. It is this, whether I'm asked to serve or not, I still serve because I, first of all, am a disciple, and if I can't be asked to serve in a formal way, then I will serve in any informal way that I can possibly contribute to the whole to make this group as complete as I can. I will be a voice for others and I will be eyes and ears for others." So somewhere along the way, you think you should be asked, but, but you're not. Then you just keep doing what you're already doing. Don't go on a three-month three pouting trip about it. Don't You keep doing what you're doing, and you keep serving. And you keep serving, you keep serving, you keep serving. Because what really matters is you're serving the Lord and His people. It's not that you wear a title next to your name. If all we're interested in, folks, are additional lame on the letterheads, then let's just take a vote right now. But we don't need more names on the letterhead, because the letterhead is not what it's about. It's about how can we shepherd, how can we be elders, how can we oversee this local church and what does this local church need for her shepherds, her elders, her overseers to be. We'll be complete. We'll be complete and perfect. we do our faithful best to follow his word and be true to it. And there may be discussions and problems along the way. But we will not give up, and we will not give in, and we will not give out on one another. We'll stay. We'll stay as one. Paul did not know what was going to happen to these elders at Ephesus. It seemed like he had some insight as to what's going to take place, and eventually what Paul was concerned about did take place. But don't you to understand that elders are not at the top of the food chain. They serve from the bottom up. They're the men who wash the feet of people. They're the men who sit by the side of people. They're the men who comfort people. And they're the men, yes, sometimes that correct people. And sometimes they need to be corrected. And they're the men who understand ultimately what it is to submit to one another. Because sometimes they have to submit to one another. So how do elders come from? disciples. Do we have men in this church who are disciples? Then we should have no shortage. Are we going to have people in the future who are going to be of the masculine gender who are going to be disciples? Then we should always have, always have potential for more. Because we always have potential for more disciples. You see we're not done doing this until we're done making disciples. And so we're always going to make more disciples, which means we'll we'll always have more to develop and more to grow and more to serve. And so there should be no shortage of disciples in the congregation and no shortage of men who would be able to, in a mature way, demonstrate their faith among themselves and faith among others and stand out to shepherd others because they're already doing it. If we wait until the time asked to be able to do it, you're already behind the eight ball and you're already too late. We're looking for men who are serving in a shepherding role. Well, that's where I want to begin. And I want you to remember all the way through this where do they come from? Disciples from among you. It's going to be a journey but it'll be a positive journey. It'll be something that'll be good for us all because we always need someone to help shepherd us and to watch over us and to lead us. And ultimately, the chief shepherd has done that. He gave his life on the cross, the just for the unjust, for the sins of many, that we might be made whole. And he offers that opportunity to us it offers the opportunity to come to him and have our sins washed away like, like our young brother Milton did yesterday. And like other young ones and others who are a little bit older have done recently. Like Olada, he did just a few weeks ago. You can have your sins washed away today because you believe Christ to be the Son of God and you've changed your mind about God and about sin. If, if we can help you do that. Why don't you stand, come while we stand and while we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com questions at the We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.